Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had Darren Light on the show, who is a coach for the Jake and Gino Mentorship Group. And you'll be able to tell he's a coach pretty quickly because there's the only thing that matches the wealth of knowledge that he has is his willingness to share it with others. And he shared it here. This is one of those episodes you really want to listen closely because he he really drops a lot of gems. What do you think, Dre? I was blown away. You, you hit it right on the head with, he was definitely a mentor. You can tell the authenticity that he has talking about mentorship and how important it is from him. He even jumps into the go-giver as the book and how that had an impact on him. The book giving him the permission to just give back, the permission to act. He coins his own acronym called ROE, Return on Effort. He talks about that. We go very extensively into how he underwrites multifamily. He talks about the value-add approach to multifamily. He also talks a lot about RV parks, which I think was the highlight for sure, aside from talking about relationships. But RV, how he underwrites an RV park, the value-add that he talks about that is added to RV parks, which is essentially double the returns of multifamily. Your knowledge of RV parks is going to change when you listen to this episode, and it's going to make you think differently about that particular asset class. So without further ado, let's get it. Will do, will do. Darren Light is a mechanical engineer by trade and started investing in real estate in 2016. In April of 2018, he left his corporate job to pursue real estate full-time. His portfolio consists of over 600 units in transactions totaling over $20 million. Darren completes five to eight flips per year and has multiple active projects in Knoxville, Tennessee, and the Tri-Cities area. He and his partners have ventured into the RV park space this past December, totaling 232 lots. Darren is an active member of the Jake and Gino multifamily community, both as a student and a mentor. Welcome, Darren. How are you doing, man? I'm doing awesome, guys. I'm really, really excited to uh, be on the show, and hopefully uh, I can add some value to your listeners. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that you will. So let's get right into it. So fill us in about your background. Give us a little more color as to how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I'll, I'll sort of fill in some of the lines in between the bio that you read off there. You know, I was at my uh, last W-2 corporate position as a mechanical engineer for 12 years. And, and actually, the decision was made for me to leave. I was laid off from that position. And so I was already into real estate at that point. That happened in April of 2018. So it's coming up on four years that I will have been in uh, real estate full time. But at the time in 2016, I had I had had my hands in a couple of businesses on my own, try to make it here and there, always sort of had an entrepreneurial type spirit, if you will. Uh, I had a concrete coding company for about five years, fairly successful at that. Tried to hire a couple of people to run that for us full time, never could make it work, eventually sold that. And just like, you know, what else am I going to do? And I actually had a friend just drag me to a guru seminar here in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I live, we went to a hotel, you know, and they have those conferences and whatnot. One of the bigger names in the country that does that type thing. And 
that's kind of how I got into it. I'm like, okay, I can go out and buy these single family homes. And at that time, even what, five, six years ago now, you can still buy something on the market and afford and be able to afford it and get something that you're choosing, right? Instead of the way things are now, where it's so hard to buy something. Now we get everything through wholesalers. And then we started doing some flips and, and became fairly successful. Even at that point, you know, you're still juggling your, your W-2 family, what have you, whatever. Well, my kids were growing by that time. And so April 2018, got laid off. I'm like, all right, let's go. I'm ready. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I cashed in my 401, cashed in my stock options. I had already been in Jake and Gino for about six months at that point, joining the fall of 2017. We went to the very first event they had in Knoxville at about 150 people. There was just Jake and Gino. There was no other support staff or anything like that. A year or two after joining the community, my partners and I, who were all from within that same community, bought a 62-unit complex in Johnson City, Tennessee. And really, we just kind of went from there. I guess now, fast forward four years, three and a half, sort of since we bought that first one, we will have done over 10 transactions. And that includes those RV parks that you spoke of. And you just have, you have this natural evolution, if you will, that occurs when you get into multifamily. You know, you, you know, I had up to eight units of single family. And then I went promptly out from that first uh, conference and sold them all. Knowing I wanted to go into multifamily, I knew that it was a better way to do things. Scalability, time on your money, just everything makes sense to me. So I went out and did that, but this natural evolution occurs. And then a couple of years after doing that, I was asked to coach by the Jake and Gino community, which was an, a true honor. They had an office here in Knoxville back then. Now it's in St. Augustine. So then I would purposefully just show up at the office and I would just talk to whoever I could talk and get to know, right? Like you said uh, earlier, it's all about relationships. And so got to know those guys. And I wasn't looking to get on staff or anything. It just happened. So that's been uh, definitely an advantage for me in my career. But now here we are, you know, 2022, we're closing one more RV park at the end of this month. Just had our team call at uh, 5.30 uh, Eastern time. Uh, we're getting down probably about 10 days away from closing that one in my backyard here in the Smoky Mountains, one of the most, the most visited national park in the country, 12 million people a year. So that's exciting. Yeah. And so now I'm just about adding value to other people. We're still doing transactions. We can talk more about that as we get further in the show, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of background about how I got to where I am right now. Definitely. And first off, congratulations on, on the pending close. That's always, that's always fun and exciting. Thank you. How many times you do it. Right. And yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it is very exciting. Yeah. And so we sort of broached the subject that you, you do multifamily as well as flips. And for our audience that hasn't necessarily gotten into real estate or is considering, you know, several different avenues to get into real estate, I think it'd be helpful to sort of outline the, the pros and cons or comparisons and contrasts of each style of investing so people can understand what it entails to do either one. Sure. With flips, you do have to have a relationship with the contractor. Obviously, you need to have a relationship with a reputable wholesaler, preferably more than one in the area. We actually do flips in two different areas, about two hours away. And the reason we do that is I live in Knoxville, but I have family in the Tri-Cities and I have connections in the Tri-Cities. So we kind of, we do it in both because there's opportunity. Flipping, you know, it it's, uh, takes you six to eight months, I'd say, to get a transaction done. That's from purchase to putting the money in your pocket. And that money can go, you can take that money and put it into other multifamily. And I think the reason that I still do that today is we've been successful with it. We 
have relationship with a couple of different contractors that continue to work for us and like to work for us and have an understanding of how things should go. And it just brings other, you never know where it's going to bring other opportunity. We actually closed on a 31 unit apartment complex December 28th in Bristol, Virginia, which is near that same Tri-Cities area. And that opportunity came through a wholesaler that we bought four flips from. So there's sort of how they kind of could work hand in hand, not flipping in multifamily, but just that relationship. So multifamily is a long game. That's the thing that people have to remember. If you want to make some quick money, I mean, you're willing to work in this day and time. When I say this day and time, 2022, you've got to be able to withstand labor shortages. You've got to be able to withstand your contractor saying, hey, I can't get to your job today because I've got to finish X. It's just the nature of the beast. I'm getting to a point, fortunately, in my investing career where I'm having enough decent cash flow come in from my multifamily investments to where I don't, I'm not necessarily relying on those flips to pay expenses and, and living expenses, but I will take those chunks of change and roll them into other multifamily. So basically flipping is quick money and multifamily is a long game to where you're, you're purchasing and you're holding for cash flow. You're not getting that cash flow on uh, single family homes. And today with the market just being crazy almost everywhere, it's about the same on whether you find opportunity or not. It can take a while to find a flip or you're waiting for that next text or email from your wholesaler. And then you're still competing with investors that know how to flip. Even if it's not on market, but it's through a wholesaler, you still have to uh, compete with other offers. What you want to do is get to a relationship where you have that wholesaler giving you first dibs because you've created a relationship with him and you've maybe given him more on some properties that he sold to you or whatever the situation may be. But also flipping is very transactional. It's still transactional, right? You know, five to eight a year, it's easily doable. I really actually want to automate that business some point in the future, have a acquisitions manager, have a project manager. Um, financially, I'm not able to do that quite yet, but that is the goal so that that can run in the background and, you know, add value to some employees. But with multifamily, it's not so transactional. You know, you're doing... However many you're doing a year, two, three, four, something like that, you're building equity into the property and you are having cash flow come in monthly as well. I hope that explained a little bit about the difference. Yeah, you mentioned it twice, Darren, so I have to address it. Ike and I focus a lot on the show about the power of relationships. So can you detail us a little bit for you, Darren, how you are able to build that very fruitful, great relationship with the wholesaler and how that led to the 30 unit in... Doing that, doing that deal. So can you explain how you were able to build that relationship? That particular relationship, let's talk about that one and then we can just talk in general terms. That particular relationship, one of the things that my partner and I did in 2019, the beginning of the year, was we started a multifamily meetup in Johnson City, Tennessee was because there was no specific multifamily meetup. There was two or three in Knoxville, but that was two hours away. But our one of our main markets was up there. So we started that meetup. Very successful. We had, this guy showed up out of the blue and he had just gotten into wholesaling and he has a great story in its in itself and it itself of how he was just sort of down on his luck and didn't know what he was going to do financially and started this business and had like 52 closings his first year he showed up at the meetup and uh we said hey let's uh, let's have coffee outside of, the, of here and kind of let's just kind of see what we're all about you know i love talking to people in a group setting but there's nothing like the one-on-one so we met had coffee and uh, his values aligned with our values. And we just kind of went from there. He saw an opportunity to grow his business with us. And I think that, and he also knew that wholesaling is also very transactional. He wanted to level up. So what we did for this particular individual was 
we didn't make this a wholesale transaction, this particular 31 unit. We gave him equity and we also gave him part of the acquisition fee. Well, now he's going to be getting a monthly cash flow check, right? All that's going to do is incentivize him to go find another one. However, let's get back to relationships in general. I think at some point along the way in my life, after I had started in real estate, and I'll tell you what book did it for me, uh, even and I may be getting ahead of myself on book recommendations, but there's a book named the, called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. And I think I, I already told you about this one. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And what that book did for me was it helped me to identify who I really am as a connector and as just being able to add value to people and talk to anybody. I don't care if you're male, female, black, white, Asian, how old you are, I can have a conversation with anyone and make that conversation be pertinent and even get emotional on the fringe, if you will. I can get to know someone very quickly. And I think there's a, an innate authenticity that I have and just realness. And I, I didn't really know that about myself. I always knew I was a people person. I always knew I was an extrovert. But when I read that book, it's almost like that book gave me permission to be who I am and just run with it. And it's hard for me to explain technically how that happens with these relationships. So I hope that helps out. That's my answer. <laughs> well, if if I could, you know, venture an attempt to sort of give the audience and ourselves an idea of how you make those relationships work and grow, I think, and, you know, with that example you gave us where the wholesaler ultimately became a partner on the deal mm-hmm. he brought to you, your goal is to leave any interaction having given more that you, than you got right? You, you want to give them something because the, the most wealthy person is the person that gives the most, if that makes any sense. If, if, you're, sense. if you're constantly providing more value than you're taking from somebody else, you will naturally attract people to yourself. So right. I think that that example you gave us is a great example of that phenomenon. And if you're living your life and you're building your business with that in mind, it, it'll only make you grow. And I think that's how you, you grow if, or have, how you've grown, if that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I agree with 100%. You're always giving more, should be, and having that mentality. I'm huge on gratitude. Actually, my son got me a gratitude journal for Christmas and uh, it has writing prompts in it. Instead of just simply writing out what you're grateful for, it also has writing prompts in it that makes you think even outside the box of gratitude, but it all ties back to gratitude. And the thing that I love about just adding value to people, being grateful is that you will probably never see or understand most of the value that's coming back to you because of what you poured into someone else. And because of what a, where a lot of people get hung up and get confused is they all think it's tied to money. And nine times out of 10, it is not tied to money. And even if it is tied to money, you may not see that monetary thing come back to you. It may happen some down, somewhere down the road in this big universe where, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you is a universal principle and scripture, whether you believe in that or not, but it's a universal rule. Yeah. So I agree with hundred percent with what you're saying. Awesome. So let's move over back to the, the multifamily space and, and long-term holds um, at large and discuss, you know, what you're seeing in, in the markets today, how you underwrite deals. You know, you've had a good amount of practice given that you have over 600 units transacted throughout your career so far. So, you know, what are your you know, key points to look at when underwriting and, and how does that apply to today's market? What we look for when we're looking at any deal right out of the gate, one rule right out of the gate is 8% cash on cash on actual numbers. If we can get 8%, 
Uh, on actual numbers, we know that we can get that to nine or 10 eventually in the first year, year and a half, two years by simply looking for operational inefficiencies on paper from the current operators. Uh, their expenses are too high. They're not producing enough income here. They don't allow pets, something along those lines. We're not really concerned about cap rate and we're not really concerned about price per door because of what I just mentioned on finding those operational inefficiencies. We will look at a cap rate as low as about five, five and a half to six. That's about as low as we'll go. So we know what that equates to on cash on cash. But we also know that if we find some room for improvement in those numbers of how it's being operated, forget pushing rents. I'm not saying we we don't do that. I'm just saying that's what everybody thinks of value add is, oh, we can push rents $200. Value add can be found in a lot of different ways, right? So that's why we're always looking for those inefficiencies in the, op- in the current operation. If we can get it a half a point to a point higher, a five, five and a half or six cap, and knowing by year two or three, we're at nine, 10% cash on cash, that's probably a deal we're going to do. Even if we're paying 200 a door, people would say, oh my gosh, you're going to make 200 a door. Yeah. If the number's there, we will. Because when I first got into this space and this business, you, you learn, you, you learn cap rate and you learn price per door and you hear, oh man, I would never pay over because that's what you hear other people. I would never pay over X price per door. Well, we paid 86 a door on February 28th, 2020 in Knoxville, Tennessee. We bought 52 townhomes and we will be refinancing them by the end of first quarter this year. And we've pushed rents from 700 to nine or 950 in almost two years, right? We're actually going to get all our money back and then some. So I really just kind of establishing, we don't worry about cap rate. We don't worry about prosperity. If we know those numbers are in the actual numbers, 8% cash on cash. We usually hold or model for a five to seven year hold. We like to hold indefinitely. Yeah, we've sold a couple because people made us crazy offers in these recent upticks. But one thing we don't look for is heavy, is distressed properties, is heavy value add, like really having our very first property uh, was like that. We learned a lot and we, we don't want to do that again. People specialize in it. I wouldn't say never, but it takes, it's a grind to do that. You've got to have a team already employed in place to, to go do that. It's hard to get contractors to do what you want when you've got 62 units and you're having to rehab every single one of them. I like to say we cut our teeth on that property in the space altogether and learn so much. So 8% cash on cash. We do not buy properties in flood zones. Sometimes you'll hear people, oh yeah, well, look at the numbers. Well, it's just a risk we're not willing to take. We like tertiary markets. Johnson City, Tennessee is a tertiary market. Well, guess what? Now it's number eight or nine on the list of the fastest growing real estate communities in the country. <laughs> and people found out about it. You know, we're not, we're not buying in proper Atlanta or proper Nashville or proper Houston. Uh, we're not buying properties and going hundred grand hard day one and then selling it in two years just to make two, three, four percent on multi-millions of dollars. That is some people's business model, but it, but it's not ours. We do syndications and we do joint ventures. So it just depends on the numbers and the amount of money being raised and, and what have you. I didn't really give you too many particulars on what we look at or how we buy, but, and obviously, well, let, let's, let's touch on a couple of things. You always hear the general rule of thumb is 2% population growth, 2% job growth. In these tertiary markets, the statistics are not always sexy. And I've had several investors pass on Johnson City, Tennessee, two, three years ago. Well, they wish they hadn't passed now when we <laughs> sold this last property because 
national statistics don't tell you what's going on in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. if you will. You've got to know and you've got to have boots on the ground, whether it's yourself. If you're not in that market, it's someone else in that market that knows because street to street, it can vary that much these days. Darren, you mentioned also, too, you made a transition into RV parks. I want to talk a little bit about the differences as well as the similarities to multifamily and what are the specific value propositions for that RV asset class? So let's talk about relationships as we talk about (laughs) RV parks. We weren't looking at RV parks. If it was not for a a relationship that my girlfriend has really with an an acquaintance that got to know me and showed me, and it was a, is a real estate agent, uh, mostly single family and showed me a couple flips, nothing ever worked out. All of a sudden I get a random text one day from her about an RV park. Hey, are you interested in RV parks? I'm like, sure. Never thought about an RV park. Send me what you got. That's literally how that started. Send me the numbers. Uh, my partner and I are underwriting it. And we're learning as we go to underwrite it. I'm established a relationship with the comptroller for the gentleman's companies that own the RV park. Get it off with this guy. And they never listed, they never listed it. So it was just us in the game at the time. Well, about a month goes by, maybe two weeks. I think it's about two weeks. Well, my business partner, Greg, gets an email from Crexy for another one in the local area and decides, you know what? We've learned a little bit about this. Let's go look at this one. Went to look at that one. Uh, ended up that a uh, acquaintance was looking at that one as well. A former colleague, was a colleague, current colleague, had talked to him in a while. We put our heads together and partnered with him on that one. He learned what we were doing with this other one. So long story short, it all became because of a relationship and the returns in a lot of cases are double what they are in multifamily. Now, I equate it to what was going on in the mobile home park space five or six years ago when people were getting 20% cash on cash and just picking them off left and right from mom and pop owners. And then all of a sudden, family offices and institutional money found out about mobile home parks and they were getting harder to pick up because they were coming in and just paying way over what people were wanting for them. So how it's similar to multifamily, Dre, is you're still, they're not, I guess you can still call them tenants, but you're managing more people than you are a physical presence. You know, you just have a concrete pad, you have a water hookup, you have sewer, you have electric. It's more transitory. It's more short-term. It's it's overnight. It's weekly. However, one of the ones we did close is more monthly long-term, almost like a mobile home park. And we're going to leave that business model in place because it's working very, very well as it is. And we're adding some new development sites to that. I guess it just goes back to still people and not so much uh, a physical building, if you will. What was the second or third part of your question you asked? I can't remember. Sorry. No, you pretty much touched on everything. It was, if you saw any, aside from similarities or differences, what any other specific value propositions you may have be able to add to the RV asset class? So specifically, the way you can add value to those properties are instead of gravel sites, you have concrete sites, concrete pads. If you don't have a pool, you may want to add a pool. You may want to add a splash pad for kids. What we've learned is that The very successful RV parks are not just in a destination area. The RV park becomes a destination in itself. The families come there. They come there for a week or two or three every single year because this is where their family likes to vacation. So there's a ton of amenities like a lot of these um, inflatable bubble type things where they're mounted to the ground. These kids can jump on them. They jump high. I know that sounds silly in my description, but 
I've seen this recently. They have, uh, maybe they have entertainment, like they have music, uh, they have bands, or maybe they, we've seen RV, we don't have this at our, but we've seen RV parks that have swim up bars, lazy rivers. They are wow. crazy with amenities and people are paying 150 a night to stay there. It becomes a destination in itself. I can tell you about RVs and campers, what have you. A lot of people will tell you, oh, well, aren't you taking a risk? Isn't COVID the one that exacerbated, you know, people buying RVs and this, that, and the other? You can go back to 2010 for sure, and probably further back, but from 2010 till now uh, across America, RV ownership has increased three to 7% year over year. It's higher because of COVID during 2020 and 2021, but still every, every single year. So it was already going that way just with people being able to homeschool their kids and travel and work remote. There's a lot of that was going on before COVID, but it, you know, just became more since COVID. So we're learning more and more. We're trying to go find some more. I think it's a, just a really unique space, but yeah, it's all about just making the park itself a destination. Quick question, Dran, you want to take us to the next round, but I have a quick question on RV parks and this may be a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How do you establish the park as an RV park, do you do you go out and grab land and get it zoned for RV parks, or so? How does that work? Yeah, I know this particular the the last one we're trying to do before the end of January is also in the Smoky Mountains. It was developed in 2008 2009. It was a pumpkin farm at that time, and then it, and it was at that time you could say, well, sort of kind of out in the country. But if you know anything about the Smoky Mountains, there's a an area called Ware's Valley between Townsend and Pigeon Forge. It was slowly becoming the more developed. People were building stuff out there. And so zoning was not a huge issue at that point. So you're really, if you are going to develop some, you know, you're buying raw land. And, and I guess I can't remember if it was the way this one was zoned, though, each individual lot had its own tax parcel. Probably not the way you would have done it for whatever reason. The creator, owner, a developer, this, the original one that we're buying it from, uh, did it that way. I do know that he sold off about five lots on his own, which we won't be purchasing, but it is part of the park. And we'll have an HOA to accommodate them using our reservation systems and electric and water and what have you. But I think it just depends on where you are in zoning. I don't have a lot of education about that, but that is something that we've done in our due diligence is following up with the local municipalities and making sure that we're in compliance with zoning and any type of certificates or licenses that we have to have for having a pool, having a septic system, things of that nature. There you have it. I think we're going to go buy RV by the slice now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We're probably going to There you go. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we're going to move on to the legacy round, the second part of the show. It's an open forum, Darren, where you can talk about your favorite acquisition, practical Mm. tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investor network. But if I could put a little plug in for our listeners, I'm going to guess that since we're on this RV roller coaster, maybe you can talk about more about a specific deal in the weeds of maybe how you underwrite the deal or more about it. I think it might provide a lot of value and unique insights to our listeners because we don't talk a lot about RVs. So why not, why not do okay. that? Yeah, that's okay we, with you. I'm going to touch on that, but also my favorite acquisition, I'm going to talk to that really quickly, is the one we're about to refinance. And the reason it is, is because when you get in this space, it takes you two to three years to start building assets, stacking assets on the conveyor belt, as another coach likes to talk about, Bill Ham, who Ike is aware of. And this will be the first actual refinance that we've done 
and we're getting all of our money back and then some. And we did it in two years. That's one of the reasons uh, it's my favorite acquisition. But the second reason it's my favorite acquisition is we had this under contract. My main business partner and I was brought to us from a broker, only us, because I built a relationship. There we go back again to relationship with this broker. And um, he just wanted to do business with us and gotten to know him. He brought it to us. We had it under contract. Well, the next thing you know, I'm sharing it with some people within the Jake and Gino community. The next thing you know, Jake himself actually finds out about it and says, hey, tell me about this 52 unit you've got under contract. It's in Knoxville, right? It's their backyard. Long story short, instead of it becoming a syndication with my main partner and I and whoever else we go raise money from, it became a joint venture with Jake and Gino, my mentors. And it's been amazing. The cash flow monthly. And now we're getting all our money back and then some, and now it's going to be an infinite return. So for that reason, and part of my mentors, it's been my favorite acquisition. RV parks. In regards to underwriting RV parks, one of the things we've learned about this particular asset was they were not doing anything on top of the regular rates they were charging to produce extra income. They're not selling propane. They're not selling ice. They didn't have a convenience store set up inside their a clubhouse, very nice clubhouse where they could sell common RV parts and equipment that people would need often and non-perishable food items and things like that. And uh, this property is amazing. It's beautiful. It's got a creek on the backside. We're going to add some glamping tents, maybe some yurts and maybe some other sites as well. So that's going to be extra income. We've got a local provider in the Smoky Mountain area that, that will do that stuff for us. So, and just paving more sites. Uh, most of them are concrete, but, and this is, you know, like I said, I guess I would consider it a B asset. Maybe we're done and be an A asset. If there is such a thing in the RV space, I don't even know uh, if we label it similar to multifamily. But And another thing we had to establish is what is the market rate? And there's a bunch of campgrounds around this area. So we went out and did our due diligence on, all right, they're charging this per night. They're charging this per night, but they're doing it seasonally. So that's another thing we had to learn. You're not just charging the same rate every time. And you had to know what the uh, occupancy is in this area. It's about 65 to 70% annually, right? And another thing we learned is that they had they were charging a lot of monthly rates, but they were giving away 12 nights a month by letting someone pay a monthly fee. So if they had charged that same person a nightly fee and you added up the amount of money they were making, they were actually giving away 12 nights. Well, immediately, the more we talked with owner operators in the area and what we learned, just having phone calls with people, they're like, nobody does monthly rates in this area anymore. You need to go to nightly and weekly. Automatically, our revenue is going to go up much higher, right? Because now we're doing that. And we talked, and we actually talked to a couple of banks that wanted to lean to loan on it and got some of the information from them about occupancy and things like that. So that's sort of some high level surface type underwriting things that we learned along our journey for RV parts. Awesome. So for the last round of the show, the Giordano round, as you know, this is the multifamily by the slice podcast. Giordano's is the number one pizza spot in Chicago for deep dish pizza. And so we want each of our listeners to walk away with a big slice of mouthwatering deep dish piece of knowledge for each question. So it's going to be a series of questions. Ike and I are going to go back and forth and ask you, Darren. So the first one, you're on top of the highest mountain in the world. These are your last words before you die. What will you scream out to the world and want them to remember Darren by? I have to comment on Giordano first. First of all, Dre, you lowered your voice and you said Giordano. And I think you're really pulling for some sponsorship stuff. Man. You must love this stuff in Chicago. And I'm all about it, bro. Keep, keep, keep at it. Keep at it. I think it's awesome. Um, if I was on this mountaintop and it was my last words, it would be invest in others. 
those three words. I can't recall the gentleman's name and I hope I get this right. And it's not because of this, but it did occur to me, maybe the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, when he gave the last speech he was going to give or something like that, I think he's passed away now. God, I hope I'm even closely remote, remotely close to who I'm saying. But uh, supposedly he went, got up to give a speech and it was one word. He said others and he sat down. That hit me when I was thinking about this earlier. All right. That's it for number one. (laughs) All right. All right. To the next question. If there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? And I think this is starting in anything, not just multifamily or or real estate, whatever you want to say. And I actually got this advice years ago from a former W-2 boss of mine. And it's going to sound simple. It makes sense to me. Just make a decision. Even if it's a bad decision, just make a decision. Do something. You know, I was going to say take action. Well, gosh, everybody says take action. There are times in your life when you're afraid of making the wrong decision or a bad decision. Just make a decision so that you can move on. If it ends up being the wrong decision, guess what? You'll figure it out and you'll pivot and you'll go make it right or you'll figure out what you did wrong and do it right the next time. Just make a decision. I love that. Vocab, what are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? Cash flow. That's the first one. It's common sense. The, and it hit me about a year, a little bit more ago. I'm like, I got to get that cash flow. And I don't really have a number, but it, you could sell assets and hold on to a year. I, I talk to guys now, year and a half, two, they're just selling their assets, right? And they're making a chunk of change. Guess what? Refi that bad boy. And then you get all your money back to go put it in another one. And then you still have infinite return and you're getting that cash flow. It's all about cash flow. Two, asset management. People think all the work goes into finding the deal, establishing a relationship with the broker, raising the money, getting it under contract, doing all the due diligence, working with legal, getting the contract signed, this, that, and the other, and then you're closed. Bam! Hard work's over. Hard work has just begun with asset management. What you do with that property from the day you take it over till however long you hold it, you reposition it to whatever you're going to do. That's when the hard work starts. And luckily, I've got a partner that is awesome at it. Third one, ROE. It's not always about ROI. It's about return on effort. Okay. If I do this project, I'm going to make a million dollars. What goes into you doing that project, the time, energy, effort, sweat equity, whatever it is to make that million dollars? Is it worth it? Or could you go over here and do this project and do it a different way? I will tell you as an older guy, the older I get that screams at me, ROE. It's not just about ROI. So your time is your most precious commodity that you have. And the sooner you realize that, even at a young age, the easier your investment journey can be and the smarter it can be, to be honest. Absolute gems right there. I love that. I love that. All right. So the last question is perfect for you since you are a coach in the real estate investing space. Education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? I highly recommend The Honeybee, which is written by Jake and Gino. But the, the reason I recommend it is it's about multiple streams of income. It's not just about multifamily. Now, you can have multiple streams of income from within multifamily. Whatever it is, it's about multiple streams of income. And it's written from a parable format. And if you're a reader like me, it's very easy read. So all you... Uh, people that can't read out there or you <laughs> struggle with reading comprehension, which is what I'm trying to say, which is what yeah. I struggle with. It's a, it's a great book. The Jake and Gino podcast is a great podcast. 
Uh, Whitney Sewell, I can't remember the name of his podcast. He's a great guy to follow. He puts out a podcast a day. He's a madman at podcasts. <laughs> look, look that guy up. And then one that I really started uh, listening to recently, and I'm reading uh, one of their books, and I'm really, really making this a goal of mine. It, I think it's going to be a 2022 goal. I've already done my vision board. But now I'm kind of redoing it. Is the Go Abundance podcast. And their book, uh, Tribe of Millionaires, if you go onto their website, uh, you can get the book. You just pay shipping. And it's like seven or eight bucks. I think I'm going to make a goal to join the Go Abundance team this year. And even more about what I believe now about who you surround yourself with is, is who, you know, some of the five people you surround yourself with is who you are and all that. Just there's just this Go Abundance. It starts. It's just coming in my mind, coming in my mind more and more and more, almost like it's being manifested, like you need to go hang out with, uh, you've been hanging out with some pretty good people, but now you need to go out and hang out with some multimillionaires that they're all about just adding value to other people. This book, Tribe of Millionaires right now, it's blowing me away and it's yeah. another easy read. So I would say that's another good book. If you guys haven't read that, I highly recommend it. Actually, I just, that was, that was my last uh, completed book. I read it Man. over the holiday break. And I mean, I, just, I can, I, you said it perfectly. I'll co-sign what you just said. It's, it's a fantastic yeah. read and it really makes you want to get involved in that group. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when you look into or have conversations with guys that are in that group, there's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of people. So that kind of excites me even more. Darren, you just dropping knowledge bombs. <laughs> I hope so. This is fun for me. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, making it rain. Everybody running. <laughs> hey, listen, I put it out there when uh, Ike reached out to me just for anybody to reach out. So is that the next thing you guys want to know? Oh, yeah. To, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm on it. Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Darren Light, or you're welcome. Or I, you can also get in touch with me. Our website is realwealth.solutions, realwealth.solutions. Kim and Greg Scully are my main business partner, husband and wife. I think uh, my email on that one is Darren at realwealth.solutions. You could also, I'll go ahead and throw out my phone number too, 865-310-6362. If you want to talk shop, I'm all about it. Text, call, whatever. We appreciate you, Darren. Thanks for being on the show. For my listeners out there, from Ike, from myself, thank you again for another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Please leave a five-star review. Pass it along to a friend or a family member or someone that you think that would benefit from it. We appreciate you all support and your feedback. Have a good day. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.